Morning. How's everybody doing? Guess what it's time for? More Romans. Back in Romans, picking up right where we left off last week in Romans chapter 1. And as we do that, and if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. I want to ask a question. What makes you angry? And it's a real question. I actually want to know. What makes you angry? Politics. Politics. That's a good answer. What else makes you angry? (laughs) Dad talking about (laughs) politics. I love it. (laughs) You win. (laughs) What else? Running late. Running late. When your wife makes you run late. (laughs) That's always the way it works, right? (laughs) You're never running late. Somebody's making you run late. Oh, man. What'd you say? Ah, she's not even here to defend. Perfect Perfect timing. Excellent, excellent. What else? When's the last time you got angry? Some of you obviously got good and angry this morning, it sounds like. Bad drivers. Bad drivers. There are all kinds of things that make us angry. Last night, I was trying to come up, I was trying to pick the example from last week of when I last got angry. And as I was trying to pick an example... Amanda came up and pulled the headphones out of my ear to tell me a funny story about something the kids said while I was trying to figure out my sermon. And it was a funny story, but it wasn't funny to me. Saturday evening stress, like that's a time to be very careful because if I'm not careful, if I'm not, if I'm not managing my stress, I, you know, transfer it to everybody else in the house. Everybody knows this in my house, right? Like Saturday night, Things can get a little tense if Papa's not careful, right? Yeah, Abe's like, yeah, yeah. Those are petty things to be angry about, right? There are also big things in the world to be angry about, right? There are real sins and real injustices, things that are bad. We all agree that we live in a world that's pretty messed up, right? And that there are actually things worth being angry about, yeah? We all agree? There are sins, there are injustices, there are crimes, acts of wickedness that are perpetrated every day, and they are worth being good and angry about. Today we're studying a passage of scripture that explains to us exactly what's wrong with the world. Why are all these things there? Why? Uh, We are in the book of Romans. It is, in fact, one of the greatest letters ever written, and it is a roller coaster. Now, the last two weeks we've been climbing the top of the mountain, and this week we are off and running fast, okay? Um, My goal today is to preach through the entire rest of the first chapter of Romans. It's a lot, okay? Um, But I want us to remember where we're at and where we're coming from. The Apostle Paul, he's coming to Rome, or he wants to come to Rome, right? He's planning to come to Rome. He's going to go to, we'll get to the end of the book, we'll find he's got to go to Jerusalem first, But then he's going to come back to Rome. He's going to go deliver something, a gift, uh, to the church at Jerusalem. But what happens is he gets arrested in Jerusalem. Okay. But he's planning to go to Rome. And he wants to go to Rome. Why? We have this series of four statements. Not the number four, but four because statements, right? So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And then we have this series of statements. Four or because. Four because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For, because in it the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith for faith. And that's where we left off last week. But we're picking up in a string this week of fours. And so we're going to pick up in verse 18 and we're going to go through the rest of the chapter verse by verse because uh, we love scripture here at Church of the King. I love to preach it verse by verse. That's the way we're going through Romans. And that today we're going verse by verse by verse, line by line by line. Okay? And uh, because we're doing so much, we're going to have to go pretty quickly. Okay? So hang on. Here we go. For the wrath of God, let's stop right there for a second. <laughs> it may be a long morning. <laughs> for the wrath of God. Whoa. I'm eager to preach the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For the wrath of God. Let's talk about the wrath of God for a minute. Everybody got a minute to talk about the wrath of God? It's what we're here for, right? It's why we're here. It's why we're here. We lean into the things that are hard when we come up against them in Scripture. Okay? That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to lean in. We're going to lean in. So, question. What is wrath? It's just intense anger, right? It's intense anger. It's what you feel when you believe that something is wrong or unjust or unfair. It's what you and I feel when we believe something is wrong or unjust or unfair. We all have wrath on some level, right? We all have anger on some level. Petty things that we feel are unjust and unfair, like our wife made us late, ah, or my dad won't stop talking about politics, or oh, there are big things going on in the world that are bad and they make me angry. We are uh, entering into an election season. Uh, the last couple of years have been a pretty angry time. Agree? Disagree? It's, it's been an angry time. It's been an angry time. It's been an angry time. If you love America, you feel like what threatens America? Well, that makes you angry. Your fear and your anger because of the threat to what you love gets heightened, right? And that means that you're then vulnerable to being exploited, to having your fear and your anger exploited, right? We all feel that too, right? Politicians play on fear and anger. So we want to control our fear and our anger, especially when it comes to things outside of our control. But what about God? What about God? Is it right for God to be angry at anything? Isn't God a God of love? Yes, God is a God of love. And because God is a God of love, God is also a God of wrath. There's no such thing as love in a broken, sinful, rebellious, unjust world that doesn't involve wrath. Love requires it, actually. What do I mean? Well, here's what I mean. Dads, husbands, you love your wives, you love your kids. Parents, moms, love your kids. Suppose someone breaks into your house tonight and their goal is to harm your family. 
the goals to prey on your kids. I saw that a trailer came out uh, this past week for a series on Netflix about Jeffrey Dahmer. Did y'all see that that was a thing? I saw that that was a thing. Let's imagine for a moment that Jeffrey Dahmer is your neighbor and he has his eye on your kids. Let's just make it as intense as we want to make it. I hope that does something to you. I hope that stirs up something inside of you, that thought. If someone is preying on your kids, I hope what you feel is wrath, anger, righteous anger, the will to fight, the will to do what it takes to protect your kids and those you love. If it doesn't, do you love them? We protect and we defend the people we love. That's what we do. We fight for their just treatment. That's what good moms and dads do. Here's the truth. God is a better father than you. God loves better than you. God's compassion is more than yours. And that means his righteous anger towards those who are unjust and who harm others is more righteous and perfect and just than your righteous anger at the thought of someone preying on your kids. It is right for God to be angry. In a world of sin and injustice, it is right. In a world of murder and rape and molestation and theft and tyranny and bribery, it is right for God to be angry, perfectly and justly angry. And here's the thing. If there are things in this world that you think are unjust and that make you angry and upset, and there should be, you don't have the right to deny God the right to be angry and upset with those same things, not without becoming a hypocrite yourself. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying? If you want to deny God's wrath and still be upset at the injustice of the world, you have declared yourself to be the only righteous judge. You've placed yourself in the seat of God. You've said, I am the standard, and God doesn't have a right to set any standards and be upset about those standards being violated. My standard and my standard alone. That's what you've said. Your terms, you want to be the judge, you want to be the jury, you want to be the executioner. You want to rule the world by your standards. You want proof that this is how we are? It's really easy to prove. I can prove it to you right now. We're all this way. Ready? When's the last time you drove down the Lloyd Expressway? When's the last time you drove down the Lloyd Expressway? I guarantee you, this was true of you. Unless you are some saint who's about to be carried on a cloud to heaven, what you did is what we all do when we're on the Lloyd Expressway. We become the only standard for how fast you should be driving on the Lloyd Expressway. Everyone faster than me is what? An out-of-control idiot. Amor, what are you doing? What kind of hurry are you in? Settle down. And everyone driving slower than me is what? An inconsiderate jerk who needs to get out of the way. I am the standard of speed. And that standard depends on how I feel in the moment and what kind of hurry I'm in personally. Sometimes the right speed to be going is 80 miles an hour. And sometimes the right speed to be going is 55. And it all depends on me and how I feel. And okay, so if it's me, it's actually, (laughs) I don't spend a lot of time on that side. 
But this is how we are with everything. It's how we are with everything. We love to be hypocrites. We love to be hypocrites who want to rule the world by our own standard, which is me. And the standard that I set is the standard that I know I can keep or the standard that I want to keep. And that standard can change at any point in time, right? At any point in time, I can apply to you something that I tell myself and then make an exception for myself, right? Right? I think it's really rude and disgusting when people pick their nose in public, except for when something's really bothering me and, you know, I judge everybody who eats at McDonald's except for when I'm craving McDonald's fries. I respect free speech. Shut up. We should defund the police, but only the police should have guns. Ultimately, what we want is the freedom to be hypocrites. And not just to hold the world to our standards, but to hold God to our standards. But what's God's standard? What is he angry about? Okay, let me pass the first three words here. Or for the wrath of God, five, okay, I can't count. Ready? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Okay, this past week, Amanda and I went to the beach. Uh, We were given the gift of getting away together. And it was really the first time that we've spent any time away, I think, like that since our honeymoon. Uh, We went to Florida, basically for free. And our parents banded together and took care of the kids and made it work, and it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was super sweet. The ocean is amazing. Any beach people in here? Or people who think of themselves as beach people? They're like beach people and they're mountains people. Mountains people. Got some mountains people. Yep. Indoors people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I like to think of myself as a a beach ocean person. I think Amanda and I like to think of ourselves that way. Um, Even though we don't get to the ocean very much like ever. (laughs) We like to think of ourselves that way. I love books uh, on adventures on the high seas, on the open seas. As a kid, it was The Voyage of the Don Treader. I just read Moby Dick. I wanted to go join a whaling ship. Like, that's just, like, I love that sort of thing. Uh, Even the the Ohio River is exciting to me. Not, I don't have the horizons, but the idea that I could just, like, be like Huckleberry Finn and throw out a raft and get on it and, and go. That's really cool. I love that sort of thing. One of my favorite things to do at the ocean, on the beach, is to get to a place to wade out, or we got out on paddle boards this past week, but get out out far enough where I I can get the coast out of my periphery. And I don't see anything. I don't see beach, I don't see hotels, I don't see high rises. It's just limitless horizon. And I love to just sit out there and just be swallowed up by it, by the bigness of it all, by the endlessness of it. I love that feeling. It's a high. It's cool. We've all had feelings like that, right? It's transcendent. It's a high that some people spend their whole lives chasing, right? Under the stars at night, getting the window seat on the airplane, climbing the mountain or sitting on the edge of a cliff. 
making your way to the Grand Canyon and getting there just to have your breath taken away. What is it that's so breathtaking? What is it that's so powerful and potent about those moments? It's the power and beauty of God. That's what. It's the power and beauty of God on full display. In all of creation and all that's been made, it's wisdom and power, it's beauty and order, it's glory, it's his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. And it's just a small, tiny reflection of all that's in God. It's just the tip of the hat to the endless glory and creativity and beauty of, of its maker. We worship a God who never tires of painting spectacular sunset after spectacular sunset. And we think from our perception of sunsets as being like, okay, we get a new one every day. That's cool. But guess what? It's a, it actually just never stops. The world is perpetual sunsets and sunrises. And God never tires of painting the skies and repainting them with glory constantly. We worship a God who never tires of doing things like that, who never tires of rearranging the blues and the greens of the waters on white sands down in Florida and doing it over and over and over again every single day. And here's what the Bible says. Every day, each one of us wakes up to a world that reflects the beauty and glory and power of its maker. Every one of us receives gifts breath and life and beauty and friends and family and food and all the wonderful things that God has given us, good things, the generosity of Almighty God. And we all know deep down that it's all about Him. We all actually know. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. They're not whispering. They're proclaiming His handiwork. Day to day, night to night, proclaiming. We all see it. We all know. And this is a really important, fundamental, foundational principle. All of creation is clear that God is God and that everybody actually knows it. Everybody knows. It's not hidden. It's not a secret. And so what's our response? Do we acknowledge God as God? Do we honor him as God? Do we give thanks? Do we show him the gratitude that he deserves? No, we don't. That's the truth. Instead, we deny him. We suppress the truth. We fight it. We bury it. We hide it. And there are all kinds of ways that we do that. We shut our ears. We close our eyes. We live our lives full of distractions that blind us to the fact that God is God. We tell ourselves stories. We invent myths. We hide from Scripture. We hide from the places where God's truth speaks directly into our lives because it hurts our feelings. We fill our lives with busyness and distractions. We medicate ourselves with drugs and alcohol and antidepressants so we can get to sleep at night instead of dealing with our guilty consciences on our beds. Because we all know deep down that God really is God. He really, he he is. There's no really denying it. It's only suppressing it. And we know that we've not honored him the way he deserves to be honored. And we know we've not been grateful the way that we should be grateful. And it afflicts our consciences. We want to do things our own way. We want to define our own reality. We want to define the world on our terms. Just like we want to define what's just and right and true on our own terms. This is what God says. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And man, we would love to have an excuse, wouldn't we? We'd love to have an excuse. Wouldn't we love to just be victims? We all know something's deeply wrong with the world. We just don't want it to be our fault. We want somebody to blame that's not us. Somebody, someone, something outside of me. We're all willing to make the judgment. We're all willing to say, all is not right. I got you all to say it earlier. We're all willing to say all is not right and it's worth being upset about. We just, we want somebody else to blame for it. We know that there are people, not just things, but people worth being angry at. We just wanted to find the terms in such a way that it's not us. It's not me. It's got to be them. It's the left. It's the right. It's the sinner. It's the patriarchy. It's the woke. It's the white. It's the black. It's the other. It's the other. It's not me. It's not me. That's what we want. In a world of victims, everyone has an excuse and everyone has somebody to blame that's not me. And we invent whole systems of thought around we're actually the victims here. How do I find and identify myself as a victim? But here's what the Bible says. There are no excuses and there are no victims. Not with God. There's God and there is the world. And between God and the world is an insurmountable void. God is on the one side, holy and righteous and just and perfect in all of his judgments. And the world's on the other side, fallen and corrupt and sinful. And guess what side we're on? Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Every single sunset, every single star in the sky testifies to the fact that God is God and that we're guilty and that we have no excuse. And ultimately, that that is why the world is in the condition it's in today. We're all guilty, every one of us. We're all nailed down. We're all cornered. So if I can't blame you and you can't blame me for the condition of the world, and we can't blame God, what's wrong with the world? Why is it the way it is? Let's continue. For although they knew God, they did not acknowledge him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We are what's wrong with the world. We are. And it's not because of our carbon footprints. It's because of sin. There's a reason our consciences accuse us. There's a reason we're at war with our consciences. There's a reason we're looking for somebody to blame for our consciences even. Oh man, why does my conscience bother me? That, I want to make that somebody else's fault. My dad, my mom, my oppressive fundamentalist church growing up, the society and culture created a con... No, no, no. You just know that God is God deep down. And you know that that's a problem because you've not honored him. We know that we're responsible. 
We know we're responsible for every act of suppression of the truth, every act of rebellion, every single thing that we do that denies that God is God, that denies he's the giver of life in all things, that denies that we owe him any love, any gratitude, any respect, any obedience. Here's the thing. God made us, though, to be worshipers, and we will worship. We have this idea that we can get away and not worship anything, but that's not true. We don't exist in a vacuum. If we don't worship God, we will worship the creation. And so that's what he says. And that's why the secularist project has failed. Because it's not resulted in the absence of religion. It has resulted in the resurrection of paganism under different names. The cults of science and of evolution and of reason and of nature are just the same old gods that we must appease. The result has been catastrophic. We think we're sophisticated because we don't bow down to statues, don't we? We think we're sophisticated because we don't make blood sacrifices to our gods, don't we? What has the 20th century been? But the endless sacrifice to the gods of the modern world. Millions and millions of people murdered on the altar of the collective good. We don't sacrifice our children, though, on the altar of... Really? Moloch worshipers would sacrifice their children so that they could have good harvests and everybody could be fed and taken care of and they could have good success. And that's nothing at all like abortion where we sacrifice our children so that we can have success and for population control and for... It's just the same. It's just the same. It's just the same. Why do our scientists and experts and economists and political theorists act like priests of a new religion? Because they are. Because they are. That's why. We've simply been moving backwards. Regress in the name of progress. Why? Because we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we have worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And what does God do when that happens? Paul tells us. God judges us and he gives us over to sexual immorality of every kind. Gee, there's an explanation for the world. Amazing. Keep reading. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. When we worship the creation instead of the creator, it leads to immorality of all kinds, especially sexual immorality. We lose our bearings because we're not oriented by God. And morality doesn't make sense anymore. And we hurt ourselves and we hurt others and hurt people hurt other people. And a lot of the brokenness of the modern world comes down to the fact that we have simply rejected the fatherhood of God. Here's how it works. When God the Father orients our world and orders it, our homes get in order. Husbands and fathers imitate him. They lead with authority and strength and grace. They provide and protect Wives and mothers respond to that kind of masculine leadership with respect and love and care, and they desire to build a family and to conquer the world with their husbands. And children grow up safe and protected, healthy and strong, and they build a strong and safe world. In the Garden of Eden, this is what happened, though. The serpent, the creation, deceived Eve, who with her husband together went in rebellion of God and chose to worship the creation rather than God the Father. And everything was flipped upside down, and that's what we are constantly doing. We're constantly flipping things upside down. That's the reason the world's in chaos. 
And Jesus came to restore that order. He came to reveal God the Father and he came to love and save a bride, the church. And that is what happened as the gospel transformed the Western world. The Western world was a mess of barbaric paganism. And the gospel came to Germany and France and Spain and England and those nations changed. Europe began to worship God the Father and it reshaped Europe and it reshaped the world. But claiming to be wise, we have become fools. In the name of science and reason, we have rejected God. And here's what Paul says. Here's what Scripture says. Where you see a rejection of God, you will inevitably see a decline in morality. Where you see a decline in morality, you can always trace it back to a rejection of God. There are two ways that God's wrath is visited on us. Two ways his judgment comes. The first is that God just simply gets out of the way. He hands us over. He lets us self-destruct. He says, fine, have it your way. And that's judgment. The second is when he says, okay, enough is enough. Enough's enough. No more. No more. That pattern is repeated throughout history on a large scale and on a small scale. What do you think the lesson of Sodom and Gomorrah is? God judged them and gave them over to their sin. And eventually God said, enough is enough. Enough is enough. This is the pattern of nations. This is what happened to the Roman Empire. Just read the history. Read the history. This plays out in the lives of individuals as well. We rebel and God lets us have what we want. And eventually we reap what we sow. And then we go to face God. And the beauty, though, is that sometimes God uses that self-destruction, that reaping of what we've sown in this life, to wake us up to lead us to repentance, to lead us to return to him. We come to see his kindness in those judgments as we deal with the consequences of our actions. Anybody here been led to God through the consequences of their actions? Absolutely. Okay, so what happens next in the progression? We reject God. God gives us over to our lusts. Like, you know, the sexual revolution. And, we take, and things take off from there. They cascade. They move from one degree of perversion and disorder to the next. So we started. We're on the roller coaster, and we're going to keep going. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So we start with being given over to our passions, and then progressively our passions become more and more dishonorable. They become more and more perverse. They become more and more disordered. This happens all the time in pornography addictions. Go from one degree of dishonor and perversion to the next. It happens culturally and we can be swept up in it. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. We reject God, sexual revolution, free sex, no-fault divorce, abortion on demand, gay pride, trans rights. Where does it stop? Where are the lines? What lines are there? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. 
They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that is where we are today. That's where we're at. We're here. We live in a world that is actively suppressing the truth of God, inventing and approving of evil. And God is giving us over in judgment to our sins and letting us reap what we've sown. Jake, that's offensive. God's the one who's offended. God's the one who's offended. And he's right to be. He made us, he designed us, he gave us gifts. He gave us the world and all that's in it. He made us a man or a woman in his own image. One or the other, but not both. He said, use the body I gave you the way I made it to be used. Your sexuality is a gift. Use it the way I intended it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it the way I intended it. Enjoy it in the context I intended it. It's good, it's beautiful, it's for you. And we looked at him and we said, no, no. No, you're wrong. How you made me is wrong. Your design is wrong. Your gifts are garbage. You owe it to me to redefine and reshape myself and my body and my world. My truth trumps God's truth. And we're the ones who are offended? No, that's offensive to God the God who made us and who loves us. We sit around, we don't even know what we're playing at as we try to redefine the world as God made it, as we try to write him out of it. We want to pretend he has no say in our lives and how we use the world he's made or how we use the bodies he's designed as if there are no consequences for that. But there are. There are consequences and they keep compounding. They compound physically and they compound spiritually. And here's the truth. We all actually agree that we have to draw a line somewhere. We just want to be hypocrites about it. We want to draw our lines over here. And we're always ready to move them as we move. The Bible says male and female, man and woman. Not too long ago, the culture said, sure, we're with you. But now it says, no, 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 no. Man and woman, male and female, male and male, female and female. No big deal. Gender is a continuum. It's fluid. Who cares? It's all good. Okay. And tomorrow? Oh, well, we, we have our lines. Adult child, that's a line. Man, beast, that's a line. Family, that's a line. Yeah. Is it for how long? There are movements out there to make those lines erased. If you don't hold to an objective standard rooted in objective truth, where will your lines be tomorrow? God designed me as a man. Today I feel like a woman. That's fine. You do you. It's not fine. It's not okay. We all know it's not. We know that this whole list applies to each one of us in our own way. The whole list catches us all, and we know God's decrees. So what are we going to do? Are we going to fight God? Are we going to go out to the ocean and fight the waves? 
They've been pounding the shore into sand for thousands of years. They'll pound us into sand too. You gonna try to move mountains? Get your shovel? Fill in the Grand Canyon? You can't fight with God. You can't do it. God is God and he teaches us the way he always has. You reap what you sow, you reap in this life. Why does he do that? Because he wants us to learn what's coming. There's a day of reckoning coming. This is the wisdom of Proverbs, which we spent the summer studying. It's the big picture behind it. You reap what you sow, you reap what you sow. And all these little judgments in our lives, they are judgments. But the fact that we even have them is a kindness of God. Okay, Jake, facing this stuff is kind of scary. It's hard. Yeah, facing your sin is scary because it means facing God. But what's scarier? Facing God now? Facing your sin now? Or facing God later? Now, he stands ready to forgive everyone who comes to him. Remember where this started and remember why last week we got the big picture view. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The whole reason the world is turning, the whole reason the sun is shining, the whole reason the birds are still singing and the grass is still green and there's air to breathe and the ocean still pounds the shore is that God is merciful and patient and he is delaying the day of judgment so that he can show mercy to you. So that he can send out men who are eager to preach the good news of forgiveness, who believe in the power of God to save anyone and everyone who comes to Jesus. So don't despise that mercy. Don't despise the truth-telling. It's just the way it is. Don't despise his kindness. Don't say he's too scary. Don't say facing your sin is too scary. No judgment is scary. Now's a time of mercy. Now's a time to get right with God. There's no pain in this life, nothing in this life. There's no pain that is better to put off down the line. And there's nothing that's more true of than dealing with our sin. If it's true of our finances and our retirement savings and our job and our health and our relationships, if it's true everywhere across the board that pain is better had up front than down the line, it's true because that's true of God. And he's trying to teach us something about the world as he made it and about what's coming. He's teaching you to come now. But I've been hurt. Other people have hurt me. They made me like this. Well, that's where the wrath of God comes in. He will avenge. Yeah, but it, it, the wrath of God is scary because it includes me too. Yes. Yes, it does. So come to Jesus because he is willing to step between you and the wrath of God. But you must submit to him. You must worship him instead of the created world, instead of yourself, instead of sex. And he can and will restore and heal you. Why? Because that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we're here. That's why we're still breathing. That's why there's a book. Jesus died to save sinners. You're one of them. So am I. So what? Jesus came to save sinners. That's why we preach. It's why we're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to sal or for salvation to everyone who believes. 
on full display, more beautiful and more glorious than any sunset over any beach, more breathtaking than any canyon or mountaintop or starry night over the desert. The beauty of the gospel, the good news, is that the love of God made a way to appease the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God so that you could know the grace of God so it could be poured out on his enemies. That way is Jesus. We're the enemies. We deserve the wrath. Jesus came and stood in our place as the perfect, holy, righteous Son of God. He took our sin. We take his righteousness. He takes our punishment. We take his reward. It's all yours in Christ. Forgiveness, power to overcome your sin, power to live and walk through this life without fear. It's all held out to you in Jesus. All of the grace, all of the love, all of the forgiveness, freedom. You just have to lay hold of it by faith. Four paragraphs. What's wrong with the world? See why this book is so foundational, right? It's all here. It's all in Romans. Now, next week, sorry, Azariah, I told you to delete this, but I'm, I'm going there anyway. Next week, we continue because the Apostle Paul assumes that some of us in this room are going to hear all of these judgments and say, I'm glad that's not me. And he's worked really hard to say, no, it's actually you. But next week, he's going to say, okay, fine, you want to say it's not you? Here's the first verse of next week's passage. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He's going to double down. Now, we're all on the hook. We're all on the hook. Okay, so we're on the hook. We're on the hook. The beauty of this passage to me is it's absolutely liberating to just be able to be honest, to be able to be real, to be able to admit what I really am, put down my fists, give up my distractions. God knows. He knows better than me. He explained it better than I could have ever explained it. And the reason he did is because he loves sinners and he sent Jesus to save them. So we don't have to be afraid. We can face the truth and we can come. And we can come to Jesus. So come to Jesus. Let's pray.